there are some sections of scripture that stand out as especially powerful and packed with meaning. Romans chapter 8 is one of those sections. Filled with truth after truth and stuff chock full of grace, hope, and freedom in Christ, our teachers look forward to delving into this chapter with you. Join us as we learn about how there is no condemnation or accusation for those who follow Jesus. Learn how the Spirit and Jesus both pray for us. Listen to how our suffering is nothing compared to what God eventually has in store for us. Learn about how there is nothing in all this world that is powerful enough to ever separate us from the love of Christ. Live in it with us this month and expect your life to be changed. I got kicked out of church camp in seventh grade. Oh, how I wish I could tell you it was for something awesome, but the truth is I wasn't that kid. The real reason I got asked to leave had nothing to do with me. I got kicked out because my parents switched churches. Apparently, switching denominations disqualifies kids from church camp. I worked there. I spent my summers there. I loved being at camp. I felt at home there. It was a place my faith took root and grew, and they kicked me out. The long-term effects of being discarded in this way is something I've battled my entire life. It left me asking, do I belong? Will I ever be good enough? What will it take for God to love and accept me? I bet most of us at some point have had a re gaping religious wound. After getting fired from church camp, the motto of my life was this. Do more, try harder, be better, but don't expect much. Isn't that sad? How many of you feel that relentless pull to do more and to try harder? Is this constant need of acceptance driving you? This striving, working, trying, the fear of being kicked out. How many of us have this mindset toward God? How many of us see ourselves as God's hired servants? I'll just keep plugging away and eventually, maybe, hopefully he'll notice and then I'll be enough. This is hired hand thinking. Or what about this? God's forgiven me, so now I owe him my life to do whatever he tells me to do. This is hired hand thinking. Or here's my favorite. I try to be a good Christian. I go to church. I give money. I mean, isn't that what God wants for me? Hired hand thinking. I was in South Carolina in September for a conference, and on our last night in Greenville, we took a trip downtown. After a lovely dinner, we got an Uber to take us home. The app said that we were looking for a black Mercedes, and it said that it was parked right in front of the restaurant. So I walked up to the first black Mercedes I saw, and I tried to get in. The guy looked at me and kind of waved me off. So I tried harder to notify him that we were his fare. He started looking at me like, lady, don't touch my car. And I was thinking, 
hey, we already picked, paid you, jerk face. Pick us up. About the time he started to flip us off, I noticed his empty window. I may be from Iowa, where we all have our own SUVs, and we don't rely on public transportation. But even I know the number one rule in rideshare is to match the car's confirmation number with the number in your app. So his realization slowly dawned on me that this was not our Uber. He sped away. And then I saw our actual Uber. Do you know what happened next? I got in the right Mercedes. I had spent so much time and effort trying to get in a car, I never stopped to realize it's the wrong car. Maybe we're in the wrong car. In our life with God, maybe some of us need to get in the right Mercedes. Are you a good Christian? Are you doing the right things? Are you trying your hardest? Aren't you exhausted? When will enough be enough? This is hired hand thinking. When are we finally going to realize it's the wrong car? The Apostle Paul said this in his apex of his letter to the Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So here's three critical things I want you to know from this text. In Christ, we have a new status, we have a new family, and we have a new future. In Christ, we have a new status, we have a new family, and we have a new future. So let's talk about this new status. All of my life, I've interacted with God like a business deal, basically on the basis of merit. I was a hired hand. Folks, I was in the wrong car. I missed my Uber on the way home from church camp and ended up with a, in a car with a stranger who took me on a wild religious ride. But now I have a new status. I read these words. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Hmm, children, I thought. What's expected of children? He goes on to say, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Do you know the difference between a child and a hired hand? Children don't work to belong. They belong because they're part of the family, like it or not. On the other hand, hired hands don't belong. They are always on the outside, never invited in. They are there to work. Here's what Paul is saying. In Christ, you have God's spirit. And if you have a spirit, that proves that you are his child. And if you are his child, then don't ever expect him to deal with you as a hired hand because he never, ever will. He will deal with you as a beloved child, period. I have a two-year-old named Lily. So the question I get when people look in these big brown eyes is, how do you say no to her? 
I don't. I tell her to go and ask her dad. Can you believe that this little girl forcefully pushed our dog Brutus out of her way? Believe me, Brutus is not as formidable as he looks in this picture. Actually, he's a big wimp. The problem with being pushed out of the way isn't how Brew Baby reacted. The problem is that my husband Hector saw the whole thing. Now, just to give you a little background on the gravity of this offense, the one thing my husband Hector fights me on every year is taking family pictures, naturally. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's a battle. I have to draw a line in the sand to get it done. So this year, after our family pictures, we are in the kitchen talking, and my husband, Hector, casually said to me all dreamily, you know, sometime I'd like you to take pictures of me and Brutus. <laughs> what? Hector loves Brutus, we have four animals, including another dog, a very cute toddler, not to mention the two of us have been married for 20 years. We have lots of reasons to take group pictures. And what does Hector want? Pictures of him and the dog. So this is the pose he asked for. <laughs> and this is what happens when he thinks no one's looking. So this is the background of the little situation unfolding in my kitchen. Not a moment has passed since Lily pushed the beloved boxer out of her way when she hears her dad's booming voice. Lily, come here. She knew she was in for it. I knew she was in for it. Brutus knew she was in for it. She started crying, but obediently this brave little girl faced her dad Shoulders slumped forward, her body involuntary retching with deep sobs. It was heartbreaking. Lily's daddy asked her to look him directly in the eyes, waited until she found the courage to do it, and then he responded to her with love and grace. Yes, he corrected her, but he did it so gently and so kindly and only in the way only a father could. Why do we expect our Heavenly Father to treat us any differently? When we think we have to work hard to please God so that we'll be accepted, we are acting like a hired hand. And in Christ, you and I have received a new status. We are no longer fearful hired hands subject to the whims of a tyrant. We are dearly loved children of God. More than that, we've received a spirit that testifies to our spirit that we are dearly loved children of God. It's one of the Holy Spirit's functions to continually remind us and convict us of this truth. So you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I had been a fearful slave my entire life. I had internalized being rejected at the Bible camp as God himself rejecting me. 
I was 13 after all, and life's events up until this contributed to this notion. But Paul's words taken to heart was the only thing that has ever truly combated this. Julie, you were not, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a fearful slave or hired hand. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you into his family as his own child. I am not a hired hand being paid a wage, trying hard to please, but really not expecting much in return. And this status changes everything. And if you are in Christ, then you too have a new status. You are not a hired hand. You are a loved child of God. Here's the second thing I want you to know. In Christ, we now belong to a new family. In Christ, you and I have been adopted into God's family. In Roman times, which is when Paul lived, adoption was a legal change in status. What I find interesting is that this status happened for not only children, but also for adults. So the moment the adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of the new son. Now I say son for a reason, which I'm going to get back to in a moment, but here's what happened and what changed with adoptions. First, the son's old debts and legal obligations were paid in full. Secondly, the new son got a new name and became instant heir of everything the father had. And third, the father now became liable for the son's actions. So think debts and crimes, etc. And lastly, the new son also had an obligation to honor and please his father. So let's talk for a moment why I use the word son. Because in our day, only gender-neutral language is appropriate. We use words like child or children, and that's even what the translation I've been reading to you says, that we have been adopted into God's family as his child. But Paul uses a word that's actually translated as son. And he uses it deliberately so that you and I would know that in Christ... We have been adopted into God's family as his son. Admittedly, it's a little weird, confusing, possibly insensitive to call myself a son and to tell you that you are a son regardless of your gender. And it's true that Roman sonship was a right and privilege only given to males. And yet Paul uses this word and applies it to all believers, both male and female. It was a subversive thing for Paul to take a masculine-only institution and apply it to females as well as males without distinction. In Christ, you have been given every right and privilege that Jesus Christ himself has because you are a son of God, both male and female. It's incredible. And here's the most beautiful thing. There is not one thing you and I can do to earn this status. It is simply received, and it has nothing to do with who you are. Three weeks ago, we took in an abandoned kitten. I am not a cat person. And so the moment this cat showed up was the moment quiet dread settled in my heart because I knew what was coming. 
we were having a campfire, and on the edge of our property, I spotted a little gray cat. Within 10 minutes, this cat was in our laps, had a name, had a bowl of food, and was surviving the death grip hug of a two-year-old. The details of what happened next will be Cameron folklore in the years to come because currently neither my husband or myself wants to admit being the decision maker. I'm pretty sure it was all him, however. Anyway, as the temperature dropped, this cat refused to leave our doorstep. Every time I opened the door, it looked like this. <laughs> Meow. Meow. Hey, Julie. Meow. We were having dinner one night, and this cat literally positioned itself in a tree outside the kitchen window and stared at us the whole time. It was creepy. So naturally, I have a picture. She looks like that cat from Pet Cemetery, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, how do you ignore that? So after a $600 vet bill... I reflected on the cost of rescuing something of little value. I mean, the original owners threw the cat and her littermates out their car window just down the road from us. We saw evidence of it. And as far as I know, Smokey Joe is the only one who survived. Turns out, this cat had fleas, roundworm, ear mites. Didn't know that till we had committed. We cleaned her up. We had her vaccinated. And this week we had her fixed, because this girl doesn't need any more cats, you know what I'm saying? But the bottom line is that this cost me something. And it will continue to cost me something, because now I have an obligation to take care of this cat for the rest of her life. And in the same way that it cost me something, it cost the cat nothing. She doesn't know that because of our compassion, she'll never face an Iowa winter or hunger or predators. She'll never know. All she knows is that her favorite sleeping spot is on the back of the chair. It's warm in my lap. And she knows to avoid the toddler death grip at all cost. <laughs> and just like Smokey Joe, your adoption into God's family isn't earned. Your adoption into God's family was very costly for him. It cost him his son. There is nothing you can do to win or earn this status of sonship. It is simply received. And because you were a son, you have no reason to fear. Are you carrying around guilt and shame this morning? Did you show up because that's what good Christians do? Friends, you're trying to get in the wrong car. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful. You did not receive a spirit of a hired hand. You received God's very own spirit when he adopted you and welcomed you into his family. And do you know what Paul said the response to this should be? He said when we know this, we simply respond as his kids. Here's what naturally happens. He says, now we call him Abba Father. Now we call him Abba Father. Abba is a term best translated as daddy. 
It's a term of greatest intimacy. Paul is saying when we understand our sonship in Christ, we enter into the most intimate of relationships with God. From the moment my daughter Lily could talk, she started calling her dad, Daddy-O. In fact, it's usually Daddy-O, Daddy-O, Daddy-O. Three times, rapid succession, highly excitable, because this little girl thinks the world of her Daddy-O. I doubt he'd even know she was talking to him if she used some other word. I can't imagine her saying, Father, please give me a dapidia, which is a toddler term best translated as peanut butter sandwich. In fact, most of the time it's not a request, it's a demand. Daddy-o, give me a dapidia. She knows she's a beloved daughter who has every right to ask anything of her daddy-o. The same is true of you. Paul says the relationship we enter into with God is so close, so personal, it's natural to coin our own name for him. Daddy-o. Let these words sink in. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. And this is how Christians approach the all-powerful creator of the universe, one who holds everything in place. Not as a God whom we believe intellectually or theoretically or even theologically, but one whom we have real knowledge of, a personal relationship with. In Christ, God is no longer a distant God to us, but he's one that sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts to witness with our spirit that, yes, God really does love us. Have you heard the gentle call of the Spirit whispering God's love and acceptance to you? Beloved, he's whispering right now. What is stopping you from coming to him and accepting him as your daddy-o today? So we have a new status, we have a new family, and here's the last thing I want you to know. In Christ, we also have a new future. Paul said this, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Isn't that great? We have a new future. You and I are heirs of God's glory. What does that even mean? In ancient times, the son, the firstborn son, was the heir, which means he got the largest share of wealth, and he carried on the family name. Now, this was so families could keep their wealth intact without it being divided and dissipated. But in a breathtaking turn, the Apostle Paul calls all of us heirs of God. He's saying that what's in store for us is so grand and so glorious. It will be as if each one of us alone has gotten most of the glory of God. Which raises the question, what does one do with glory? But a better question would be, what does God's glory do in us? In the Old Testament, Moses was the only one who ever got to see God. But he didn't get to look at his face, only his backside, because if he saw God in his fullness of glory, it would have killed him. 
after this happened, Moses had to wear a veil covering his face because his face glowed. It freaked the Israelites out. Something similar happens to Christ's followers in a non-freaky way. This is what happens as heirs of God's glory. We start absorbing and reflecting his glory, and then it starts transforming us into his likeness. We start to develop his characteristics. We start to look and act like him. Here's how I picture this. In photography, we use these things called reflectors. A reflector is a large reflective surface, and it's used to redirect lights towards a given subject. So direct light hits the reflector and bounces the light back into the shadows, and it lights up the dark areas of the, of the subject of the person you're trying to take the photos of. It's really fantastic. But God's glory does the same thing in our lives as a reflector. The more his glory shines on us, the more it lights up the dark areas of sin and brokenness, the places hidden in the shadows. But it's not to shame or condemn us. Rather, those, the glory enters into those areas to change us, to transform us, to restore us. So unlike Moses, we don't cover up the thing his glory does in our lives. We share it. And when people look at us, it's evidence that God's working and changing us into the image of himself. This is what his glory does in our lives. And this is why he makes us heirs of his glory to transform us into his likeness so that everybody will know we are a child of God. In Christ, we have a new future, which is a transformed life, which starts right now. We are the heirs of his glory. This truth has penetrated into the very fiber of my being so that I am no longer a seventh grade church camp reject in the wrong car. I know I'm loved. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm accepted. I know I'm a beloved daughter of God who is slowly and steadily being transformed into his likeness each and every day. What about you? Friends, the same is true for you. You can know this for sure because Jesus Christ freely offers this gift to anyone willing to accept it. And we're going to enter into a time of communion and a time of reflection right now. And so I just invite you in the moments to come to simply offer yourself, offer Jesus everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him and know that God celebrates you and he welcomes you into his family today. Let's pray. Father, I know that this truth has a potential to change futures. It happened to me. You rewrote a truth that I experienced so long ago as a seventh grader. To the point that I know how you feel about me. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm accepted. I know that I don't need to be fearful of you. I know that your will and intent towards me is goodness and kind. God, I just pray as we enter into this time of reflection, 
that the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit to testify and affirm and confirm that we are your dearly loved children. Thank you that in Jesus you gave us a new status, a new future, and a new family. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.